This is from John 14, verses 1 through 6. Jesus is talking. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to to prepare a place for you? And if I do go there and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Chris. All right, so we're in, we're in a study on the book of John. We've been going through, and, and um, it's taking longer than I thought it would, which probably doesn't surprise a lot of you. But when we hit John 13, we, we get to the Last Supper. We get to Jesus' last words with his disciples before the crucifixion. It's a tremendous amount of teaching. There's a tremendous amount of depth, and I'm slowing down. And I, I didn't mean to, but the, the, the text is overwhelming me. So we're, we're slowing down to kind of look at this text in a deeper manner, partly because it is so applicable to us. It is, is incredibly applicable to us. You know, he's talking to the disciples in John 13. He's giving his final words. He's giving this instant, intensive training. He's telling them what he wants them to do after he dies. He's telling them how to do it. He's telling them what is to come. He's telling them where to find strength in the days ahead as they deal with anxiety and difficulties and and intimidation and uncertainty and depression and discouragement, all of these things. He knows it's just going to pile on them, and so he's dealing with that. He's helping them see how to react to that. And then we looked at verses 1 through 3 two weeks ago, and we talked about three things. We talked about there's this confidence that we need. We need a confidence to navigate life successfully, a confidence that Jesus says, this is available to you. And we talked about the nature of that confidence. That is, what, where does it spring from? What is it? And it is this longing for home that is deep within the heart of every human being. Deep in their heart, there is this longing for home. Home occupies such a great part of, of, our, of our, our psyche. And then the third thing we talked about was, how do we get, then how do we get that confidence? How do we get that confidence? For living during anxiety times, during, during times of depression, during times of struggles. How do we get that? And Jesus said, this is how you get it. It starts with belief. It starts with faith and then learning and trusting. And he explained, it's a lifelong process. It's not a quick thing. It's a lifelong thing that we all go through. So this becomes so applicable to us because, in a sense, they're getting ready. They're, 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 they're going to launch this thing that's called the church. And, and how are they going to do it? And how are they going to hold up under the pressures of it? And for us, and it was a time of, in a sense, a great time of transition for them. We're in a time of transition, too, as a church. In, in the, in all, all over the world, churches are struggling right now with transition. They're struggling with this transition that COVID hit and just decimated things. And, and for a while, for us, we stopped meeting together. We just met online. And we still have people who aren't coming, and I know for, for many of them, this is not a judgmental thing. I know for many of them, it is still a matter of safety. It's still a matter of, of <clears throat> being, being careful. But let's be honest. Okay, I'm looking at you, camera. <laughs> There's some of you that have gotten very comfortable staying at home on a couch. Let me just tell you, 
we need you here. And I mean that. I mean that. We need you. I think you need this, but we need you. And if you go, well, I just come and I sit and I listen, then I leave. I don't think you need me. Then you've missed something because we do need you. Every person here, every person online, brings something to the table that someone or many, even many people here need. We need this. Plus, we're commanded to do this. God said, meet together. It's just something about the body getting together that is a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. So we're in this time of transition. We've lost a lot of people over over the last two years or so. We're starting to grow some. We're seeing new faces. But we need to continue this, not so that we get more people, I, you know, I, I'm, well, I could kind of phrase that. We do need more people. Why? Because people matter to God. But it's not just a numbers thing. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a salvation thing. It's an eternity thing. It's so important. And so as we grow, what happens? More people come in. More people find ways to meet other people's needs. The body of Christ grows. God is glorified and honored. And we grow. We grow spiritually through all of that. So we're in this time of transition. And, and Jesus is dealing with that in what he's talking about in this, these passages that we're in right now. So he's about to expound to them on this concept of the salvation. In a few short sentences, he's going to speak depths of wisdom. This is a, this is a, a series of, of sentences that you probably have heard. If you've been to a funeral... You'll hear this almost every time, and that's and a good thing. He speaks with a depth of wisdom and knowledge concerning their salvation in him. So let's look at that as he talks about he's the way, the truth, and the life that we just read. First of all, it's a relationship. Let me tell you, I'm probably not going to tell you anything this morning that you haven't already heard that you don't already know, at least for many of you. But we need to review these things. It's a relationship. This is so key. When Jesus said to him, you know, the way, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's told them that he's preparing a place for them. Right? He said, in my father's house, there's all these rooms. We talked about what kind of a house they would be thinking of, what kind of a, a structure and an area. It's called an insula, and, and I can't go into all of that. Look up the previous message if you want to see a video, a, a picture, and explanation. But it's this insula, and there's all these rooms. Everyone is going to have a room. You're, sorry to tell you, you're not getting a mansion in heaven, and you're probably not going to walk on golden streets, Right? Okay, you're getting a room, and it's going to be the most awesome thing you've ever experienced in your life. You will not be disappointed in any way. So he's preparing this place. It's a place of hospitality. That's the key thought they have with an insula. It's a place of warm embrace. It's that home that we all long for. And Jesus says, you know the way. And I love this because Thomas, the little we know about him, he comes across as a pragmatist, right? Jesus, this sounds great that there's a place. It's great that you secured this place for us. But we don't know the place. So how do we know the way? We don't know this place. So how do we know the way? What's good? What good is a place if you don't know how to get there? Thomas is very pragmatic here. And you know what? Isn't that the cry of the human heart today? We are searching 
but not finding. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. We used, we used part of that U2 song as our anthem as we studied the book of Ecclesiastes because the book of Ecclesiastes is simply that in 12 chapters. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And it's the cry of the human heart. We all know that feeling. And Thomas is saying, I need a map. I need, what do I put in my GPS? I write heaven in my wave, and what does it say? It leads me to a candle store, heavenly sense, or something like that. How do I know the way? Tell me where it is, and I'll be able to get there, which is interesting because he's kind of thinking that way, and that's the way we think. Show me how to get there. I'll make it on my own. I can get there. I can get there. And Jesus says, no, if you know me, then you know the way because I'm the way. See, Jesus is saying the way isn't something you know, like directions. The way is a person. I'm the way. If you know me, you got it. You don't need your GPS. Just know me. Just know me. That's the way. See, that is a relationship. Jesus said, it's me. It's through me. He's saying, in the last three years, you have seen it. You have seen the place I'm preparing. You're getting glimpses of it. When you see what I do, when you see how I treat people, when you see how I love, you're getting glimpses of the place I'm preparing for you, of what is coming. I remember one night, um, you know, we're getting close to our Arizona trip, and so Arizona's on my mind. I love that place. I love going there. Um, I remember one night, we were sleeping out under the stars, and... and uh, I found much to my, I'm such an old person, I, much to my chagrin, they have electricity there now. When I was taking teenagers there for 15 years, there was no electricity, you know, like we, and we loved it. We loved having no electricity, and we all walked barefoot, right? And, and so, and so they, they say, oh, we got electricity now. I'm like, oh, that stinks. Well, good for the Navajos, right? <laughs> it stinks for... But you'd lay out under the stars because you slept outside. It was too blazing hot in the buildings to sleep in a building. They'd heat up during the day. So you'd lay out under the stars. It's the high deserts, over 5,000 feet, so the temperature drops at night. It's wonderful sleeping outside. And we would lay out, and there's no electricity, okay? So there's no light anywhere. And the, the heaven, the stars are unbelievable. And on many nights, you'd see shooting stars. They became more visible. You could see the space station go by. Everything. You could see, what got me was you could see the depth. You suddenly had this sense. We, we think of this kind of painted canvas. There's the sky. But the depth becomes so real to you. It, and and, and this, this is what it looked like one night. It was overwhelming. I'd never seen so many stars in my life. And then this shooting star cuts across the sky. And I can remember laying down there and seeing a shooting star and everybody's going, oh, ooh, ah, and just thinking, God, this is so awesome. I am so humbled. I mean, you look at that picture, the stars. I am so humbled that you have picked out one spot. And on that one spot, you, you came and you found me. I mean that much to you. This is so humbling. And, and Scripture tells us the heavens declare the handiwork of God. The stars show, right? And I just thought, you did this. 
you did this. It's, it's awestruck. You know, anybody, <clears throat> excuse me, anybody can be awestruck by a shooting star. I, I don't, any, anybody can. But, but as Christians, we suddenly see there's a depth here. There's a meaning here. There's a purpose. There's something greater. I'm a part of something that I can hardly imagine being a part of. And so the more we know Jesus, he's telling them, the more we love Jesus, the more we understand the place we're going. It's based on him because he's it. It's not a map. It's not a series of moral tasks. It's just me. And he says, if you know me, then you're on your way. And on your way, you're catching glimpses. You're catching glimpses of the place you are going. So in our relationship with Jesus, as we start to think about the promises that God has made, it's just like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, or all the fullness of life is in me, or he just, he leads us, he walks with us, he feeds us, he feeds our soul, and so many more. He's saying, those aren't for the future. Those are right now. This is possible to be experienced right now on this earth in our walk. He will walk with us. He will lead us. He will feed our soul. It's for now. It's for this earthly present that we're in. That's why he taught us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he's talking about when he teaches them to pray that way. He's saying we're supposed to be bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth. And if we open our eyes, if as we walk, we will get glimpses of it. And it will encourage us. It will move us. Jesus says to Thomas, he's telling him, if you know me, you'll begin to know the place I'm going. And you'll know the place I'm preparing. And you'll know the place I'm taking you to. And you will know the way because you know me. I'm the way. There is this place where there is no brokenness. Why? Jesus says, because I'm the restorer. There's no hunger because I'm the feeder. There's no tears because I'm the healer. And the way is me and the place is me. I am the destination that your heart desperately seeks. So it's a relationship. The second thing is, it is truth and life. And this is continuing what he said earlier. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Thomas asked about the way. But Jesus went much further because he knew there's got to be more teaching here. We're not just, don't, I don't want to stop talking just about the way. He adds truth and life. And here's that word, right? Here we are, we're in John. We've been talking about this. Here's that word in the English, life, right? What do you think the Greek word is there? Zoe, right? And I know I go over this so much, but sometimes we have visitors. Sometimes there's people who, haven't, who don't listen to me hardly much of the time. So got to re-explain these things. Two Greek words for life, right? Bios and zoe. Bios is physical life. Bios is eating, drinking, you know, burping. It's just physical body life, just existing. Bios is existence, okay? Zoe. Zoe is life that is full of meaning. It's full of purpose. It's a life that invigorates. It's a life that makes you go, I'm a part of something. I'm doing something that's worth doing. Now, Zoe can happen apart from God. People can get involved in something they feel like is very much worth doing. That's, that's, but Jesus keeps tacking something on. He keeps saying eternal life, eternal Zoe. So he's talking about a special kind of life that's full of meaning, full of purpose, but has it has implications into eternity. What you do today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, has implications into eternity. 
because you're living the eternal Zoe. You're getting to be a part of the eternal Zoe. So it has implications into eternity. So when we talk about bios, that's just existence. If Jesus talks about eternal bios, he's talking about hell because you're just eternally existing. Think of that. Apart from any, any, anything else the Bible says about hell, apart from anything else, just think about eternally existing without purpose or meaning. That's hell. And Jesus says, no, there's eternal zoe. There's this life. And so he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the zoe. I am the life. You know, um, there's a common saying in our day. Life is about a journey. You know, it's about the journey, embracing and enjoying the journey. One of probably, probably, I don't know, maybe one of our, our, our greatest, you know, uh, philosophers today, and, and you know what's coming, right? Anytime I say one of the greatest theologians or philosophers or scientists, you know, okay, here they come. It's somebody. Yeah, one of the greatest, most influential today is Snoop Dogg, right? <laughs> Again, you pick yours, I'll pick mine. Um, Snoop Dogg, why? He's, if, if, everything he stands for, but especially in his new ad campaign, or it's not so new now, his ad campaign with Corona Beer, right? It's, it's find your beach. Wherever you are, there's a billboard out with him on it that says, if life gives you lemons, find your beach. No, if life gives you limes, find your beach. I said it wrong, of course. And what is he talking about? What, are they, what is he talking about? And Corona's, in Spanish, it, it, uh, the, uh, the catchphrase they have means the good life or the fine life. And what are they saying? They're saying, you may be in a tough situation right now. You may be going through something difficult. And they're saying, grab a Corona, sit down in a recliner, and just, I'm at the beach. I'm, I'm at the beach, right? Find your beach. And, 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 and what, what are they saying? Just kind of fool yourself into thinking everything's wonderful. But let me ask you something. You go through something really difficult. You go through something that's just terrible, a difficult time in a relationship. Somebody hands you a corona and says, find your beach. I take that corona, bang, right on. You know what I mean? I'm just thinking, no, that doesn't do it. But it's, it's very popular in our culture. We talk about embracing and enjoying the journey. You figure out your own destination. And your destination may change as you go along the journey. And that's because you decide what the destination is. And you begin to think, you be, you're able to think. We're told you can think what's really important. And then if things don't pan out that way for you, then you figure out something else that's important, and then you make that your destination. I knew a guy, I was in high school, and he, he was a teacher, and I got to know him some. He had, spent, he had spent three years working in the Peace Corps overseas. And I was just so intrigued by this, this idea that he had done this. And, uh, and so I asked him, I said, you know, why, why did you join the Peace Corps when you got out of college? And so he was telling me, he says, I wanted to help people. I wanted to help the less fortunate. I wanted to be a part of something like that. I wanted to help people dig wells. I wanted to help people fight malaria. I wanted to be involved in that. And so he got sent to a place that was in the midst of some of these very difficult issues. And I said, but you're, you're here. You came back. And he said, I got tired. I got tired of heat. I got tired of flies. I got tired of mosquitoes. I got tired of sleeping in difficult situations. I got tired of never-ending needs. And I couldn't stand it anymore. 
So I came back. He shared that with our class, and, and I went to a difficult high school. One of our classmates said, welcome to hell, <laughs> like that to him. He said, you're not going to get any better here, pal. But it, it hit me, uh, thinking back on that, what did he do? He set his destination. He said, this is what I want to do. And, and what happened? Reality hit him like a ton of bricks. Never-ending needs. All these difficult issues. And I'm not, he did, he did some great stuff while he was there. I don't want to, but it overpowered him. He didn't have the strength to, to, to sustain that. You know, this is what I love. I mentioned this two weeks ago. What I love about the word of God is the word of God is brutally, bluntly honest about suffering. It doesn't minimize suffering. It said, yes, suffering is a fact and it hurts and it's terrible. That's a fact. The Bible's very blunt about that. And and the Bible's blunt about other things like this man went through. Jesus at one point said, the poor will be with you always. Not that we don't work with the poor, but he's saying there will be never-ending needs. If you're working on your own power, those needs will overwhelm you. They will overwhelm you. And I know, you know, everything, everything we talk, there's some truth in certain things. There's truth in the importance of the journey. But I think our culture, we're missing an important point. The destination is an incredibly important part of the journey. The destination is very powerful. Our culture tells us we have the power to create and determine our destination. We have the power to create and determine what is true, what is meaningful, what is morally worthy, what is right or what is wrong. I read a writer uh, last week, and he said this, the pursuit of happiness is a desperately heavy burden. It is a crushing duty in our culture. I have to be happy. And we kill ourselves for it. If there is no God who created the universe and gives purpose and meaning in it, then all you have in this life, all you have is your journey. There's no destination. And so you have to decide what's best for you. And so that's, for, for secular people, that's where they're at. For religious people, well, we get religious people, they build their lives around moral attainment. They live as if only, the only thing that matters is the destination. We see that in the Pharisees, right? They were, they were, it was rules and regulation and morals and, and every little thing you had to follow. And if you didn't, you're out. But if we're honest, we see it in ourselves too sometimes. We can fall into that trap. It's, it's, it's perfectly illustrated in Luke chapter 10 with Mary and Martha when Jesus is there in the house. And what does it say? It, say, it says, Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's a really key phrase. That's a phrase they use for what disciples did. They still use it in Orthodox communities in Israel. If you sit at the feet of someone, you're their, their, you're their disciple because you, they are, they're your teacher. And so Mary is being taught by Jesus. Martha is busy working and she's getting frustrated. And, she's, and, and you can, I mean, we all have seen that. We've all experienced that, right? You're doing something and somebody else is just talking and you're like, do you see how heavy this is? And you put it down and you had to get another one. You still don't see how heavy this is? Bang, you put it down a little louder, right? And then, and then you see how heavy this is. You know, we want people to see. We want people, we feel like, hey, this isn't right. And, and I could totally understand Martha in that. I'm cooking in here, and she's just chillaxing. This is not right. And Jesus has to tell her, no, there's some things that are more important than busyness. There's some things that are more important than good things. I'm going to tell you, for a lot of pastors, they don't like to talk about that because they feel like 
people are going to say, well, then I'm not going to get busy working in the church. All right, if, if it means you spend more time with Jesus, that might be a good thing to do. But the key is, it's not that we don't do the good things. It's what we do them for, how we use them. Because activity is not wrong. But there's something better than activity, and that's getting to know Jesus. Because when we get to know Jesus, we're beginning to learn the way. We're beginning to learn the place. We learn more about it, and it affects us in how we live. So activity isn't wrong. But figuring out what the point of the activity is very important. Because the point, even in activity, needs to be somehow I'm going to get to know Jesus better. Because we struggle with fixating on moral attainment, just saying, I did a good thing. And then what happens? The journey is draining, not life-giving. And faith becomes a task list. And then there's nothing that enriches us along the way. There's nothing that gives life along the way. Let me give you an example. You know, if there's someone who really, let's say, irritates you, I'll be nice about it. Maybe you just really don't like them. They really irritate you, and you know deep inside. You know deep inside how you should treat them. You think, Jesus, okay, how would Jesus treat this person? <sighs> Jesus would treat this person respectfully, lovingly, right? And you think, okay, so I have to do that too. <sighs> and you grit your teeth, and you're nice, and you're civil, and you're kind of attentive, but you don't want to be. And then finally, when it's kind of over, you've talked to this person or whatever it is, you go, Whew, that sucked, right? You don't, it's terrible, that was hard. It's finally over. Ah, I did a good G- deed for Jesus. I can check it off my to-do list. You know, I get my to-do list, be kind to a jerk. Check, I did it. All right, now let me say, I am not describing a situation in my life in this church. All right, I'm not, this is not this, okay, don't. Because I, I always worry that people go, oh, I was talking to him today, oh, Oh, and it didn't look like he was real interested. No, no, all right? Don't, don't, don't think that way. That's not what's going on. But see, here's the thing. Oh, what, what happened? I just, I just gritted my teeth and I did it. But if I think about this, if I think, how would Jesus treat this person? And then before I do anything, I say, Jesus, please help me love this person like you love this person, like you would do it. Because remember, Love is an act of the will. It's not a feeling. The Bible never commands us to like our enemies. It commands us to show love to our enemies, not to like them. Because like is an emotion. You can't control that. Love is an act of the will. You can control that. So if I pray, Jesus, help me love this person, because there is a possibility that this is really you in disguise. How would I treat you? Help me to treat this person this way. Help me to remember that you loved me and I'm a jerk. So this becomes now suddenly what's happened. Now this becomes an opportunity for learning and growth. How I start thinking about it that way. I mean, it will, if you honestly think that some person at any moment you are talking to might be Jesus, won't you change how you treat them? Right? And Jesus says, when you do this to the least of these, which doesn't necessarily mean children, when you do this to the least of these, who do you think the least of? When you do this to the least of these, you do it to me. So suddenly, I have to think, 
you know? When a homeless guy shows up at our door and they want to hug me and they want to sit and talk for a while, I have to think, what if this was Jesus? What if this was Jesus? Now, I know there's balance in all of this. There's all these what-ifs, hypothetical situations, fine. But you understand, this is the point. It becomes an opportunity for growth and learning because Jesus is saying, I am the life. I am the life. I am the Zoe. He's been teaching about this life, this eternal life that's here and now. And now he tells them, it's me. See, he's been teaching them about life, eternal life. For 14 chapters, he's been teaching them about life. But now he unloads on them and he says, oh, and by the way, that life I've been telling you, it's me personally. It's me. Get to know me and you got the life. It's all in me. It's not something you work for and finally attain. So relationship then with Jesus is not a task list. It's just life. Because he's the creative life of the universe and we suddenly have access to that. You know, all living things on this earth depend on something else to live. Plants depend on sunlight. Animals depend on plants. You know, this is food chain and all that. But we have a need. We have a hunger that is deep inside. And we need something outside of ourselves. That's that home we look for. That's that meaning and that order in our lives that we look for. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm the life. I'm the foundation of life itself. For a modern, secular person, there's no, since there's no set destination, there's this sense of lostness. There's this idea there's no compass. There's no anchor. We see this. You can see this in movies and on TV all the time. You can hear it in music that's popular, always traveling and never arriving, always disconnected, always feeling kind of lost. A, a movie um, that shows this is Bill Murray, Murray, Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson in Lost in Translation. Right? Two people that kind of bump into each other in a foreign country and they can't speak the language, they don't read the signs, and, they're all, and they feel lost. And they, and they have this brief moment in time and, and, and it, where they just enjoy being with each other. And it's like, oh, that's so nice. They found something. And then they leave. It's gone. And that's, see, that's, we long for that. We, oh, oh, that's so good. And then it's gone. And Jesus says, no, it's me. I have it. I have it for you. Our world tells us grab what you can because things change. There's no meaning in it. There's no long-term goals. There's no destination that impacts the journey. And to those people, Jesus says, nope, that's not right. I'm the truth. I'm the destination. His truth is relational, not just factual. You know, you can learn a lot about a person. You can gather all the data you know about them, right? But how do you really know them? Is when you spend time with them, when you do things like have a cup of coffee together and you talk and you open up to each other and you begin to learn the person, not just the factual data, height, weight, eye color, how much hair do they have, the less the better, whatever, whatever. <laughs> this does dumb. Okay, so what do you do? You spend time together. You have a cup of coffee. You eat a meal. You spend time together. And Jesus says, I will reveal my heart to you. You will get to know me better. Spend time with me. 
because I'm the destination, and the destination radically affects the journey. And so I'm telling you, if you're running, always running and never arriving, always looking for the next thing, a relationship with Jesus gives purpose to the running. He is the truth, the truth and the life, which we all need desperately. The final thing, it's a relationship, it's truth and life. It's exclusive and inclusive, right? And this, this is something that comes up all the time when I talk to people. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And there's an objection there. That's so exclusive. So exclusive. It violates our modern sensibilities. It's narrow. It's closed-minded. To make that kind of an absolute truth claim about reality. And so, you know, the thing people like to say is, oh, well, I think kind of like all religions are equal. They all got some of the truth. You know, they're all kind of going to the same, just different roads to the same God. No one has all the truth. Because religious truth is relative. It's, it's not absolute. But there's a flaw there. Because to say that religions don't have absolute truth is to make an absolute truth statement about religions. You just violated what you said people can't do. And, and I, I, I was reading not too long ago, and I thought we'd kind of gotten past this, but it's still something that people talk about. It's that, that they call it the elephant illustration. When they're trying to show that all religions just don't quite have the full picture. So they talk about an elephant illustration, you know, like, like five or six blind people, and they put a big elephant in front of them, and they tell them, this is an elephant. Tell me what you think of it, right? So one person goes, and they touch the leg, and they go, oh, man, it's like a stone column. You know, somebody grabs the tail, says, oh, it's like a thin little snake, and it smells horrible back there. You know, whatever. They, they just, and, and then they say, see, they all say that's an elephant, but they all didn't qu- quite get it. It's kind of like this, right? It's a wall, it's a spear, it's a snake, it's a tree, it's a fan, it's a rope, because each blind person only gets a part of the information. And they equate that to religious thought, right? But the problem, and I mean, I think most of you probably know this because this has been used so many times. The problem is, the only way we know this is that we can see the whole elephant. We have the absolute truth. So what do we have? We have skeptics who say, I know the absolute truth, and you only know a part of it. And you think, what? that's such a ridiculous statement to say. Because what you're saying is, if you can see the whole picture, you have the knowledge that no one else has. So to say there's no absolute religious truth concerning God is in itself an absolute religious truth statement. And I want to propose that Christianity is the most inclusive, not exclusive, inclusive religion of all the world's religions. Islam is primarily concentrated in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. Buddhism is largely in East Asia. Hinduism is largely in South Asia. Now, let's think about Christianity. About a fifth of all the Christians... And we use Christianity as a pretty broad definition. But about a fifth of all the people who claim to be Christians in the world live in North America, one-fifth. About one-fifth live in South America. About one-fifth live in Asia. About one-fifth, but this is really growing like crazy, live in Africa. And about one-fifth, maybe a little less now, live in Europe. It's the most inclusive. Jesus, you know, Jesus, when he says, no one comes to the Father but through me, implicit is that anyone who comes to me, anyone, goes to the Father. It's open to anyone. 
because Christianity is inclusive, but it is incredibly culturally flexible. Why? Because it's a relationship. It's not a set of rules. It's not all these to-dos. It's a relationship with a living, breathing person. And because it's a relationship, it's flexible, like relationships are. Other religions, it's follow this moral code. We will teach you the correct way to live. Follow this, and you'll flourish. If you don't follow this, you're a goner, right? That's it. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I'm the way. I don't place, salvation is not placed in living a code. Salvation is those who can't realize, I can't live by the code. Salvation comes to those who admit, I would be utterly lost without you, Jesus. Anyone who comes to me, that's absolutely inclusive. And let's think about ourselves. Are you on a treadmill? You just feel like your life, and it's not leading anywhere. Jesus says, come to me. I'm the truth. Seek me. Are you religiously trying to be moral and it's sucking the life out of you? Jesus says, come to me. I'm the life. If you're not sure, how, how does this work? Jesus says, I'm the way. Just come to me. I'm the way. I remember um, years ago in uh, Arizona, and this guy was telling us about this place way out in the desert on the Navajo reservation. And he said, there are petrified trees there. I mean, whole trees just falling over. Giant trees just laying around. It's the most incredible sight. And I was just like, are you kidding me? Can we see that? You know, he says, yeah, these trees, it's from an ancient flood. And I was like, imagine that. I said, can we see that? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'll write you a little map. So he starts telling us it's about, it's about an hour and a half out into the desert. And he goes, oh, take some shovels because there's a few washes that the sand gets really deep and you could get stuck. So you're going to have to dig your way out. Oh, okay. It's me and 14 teenagers. And I'm like, I'm going to do all the digging. I can feel it already. So I'm a little nervous. And then he says, take about five or six gallons of water, because if your van breaks down, no one knows you're there except me, and there's no cell coverage. So if you're not back in about four hours, I'll come looking for you. And I'm like, I, that, I'm not liking this idea. You know, I don't like this idea. The van could break down. We could get stuck in the sand. Somebody's going to die of thirst out in the desert. It's 95 degrees out here in the desert. It's just sucking us. And so I just, you know, sucking the life out of us. And I said, um, I, I don't know if we're going to go. And he looked and goes, ah, okay, I'll take you. And I was like, okay, sit in the right front seat here. I'll go. I'll go, right? So we put the shovels in. We put, put in all the water. And, and I, I don't care what kind of map he would have driven me. If, you, if you've ever been out there, it's just desert. And then there's dirt roads crisscrossing all over the place. So when he says, take the third one a left, you're like, was, was that a dirt road? No, I think that was just a track. Maybe it was. I would have been lost so fast. So we're just going out there, and he's just like, turn left here, you know, turn right here, turn right And we come around the corner, and there's like 20 trees, some of them gigantic, just laying around petrified on the ground. It was stunning. It, it, it was just like, this is amazing. This is amazing. And uh, he says, we don't usually 
take white people out here because they'll take all of it. They just take it. And I said, okay, no one pick up a single. I said, you cannot pick up one single rock. And he says, no, you can take the little rocks. He says, but they, they would just take it. It would be in a museum somewhere, but it's ours. We're keeping it here. And so it was, it was so interesting to me. But I think the thing that got me was I had to be taken. I was not going to find it on my own. Jesus says, I will take you. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Having someone take you, lead you, walk with you is so much better. Because Jesus says, you can't make it. But I will take you. I am the way. And so as we finish, think about this. One of the things we have to wrestle with as believers in Jesus Christ is we focus on the relationship, not the rules. Rules are not wrong. Rules are not just all bad, but they're not our focus. Our focus is relationship with each other and with Jesus, all right? The other thing I think we have to see is see that he is the way. He is the truth. He's where the meaning and the purpose for living is. He is the life. He is the zone. He is where life is for us. And when we begin to grapple and wrestle with that and we begin to understand it more, what happens? It enables us to live boldly. It enables us to live fearlessly. This is something God has been working on, working on me. And just, and I mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, I should say something here, not, not knowing what to say, and I get all crazy and weird and feel weird. You know that feeling. And God says, just say something. What's the worst thing that could happen to you, Bob? Somebody could look at you and go, you're a freak, and then walk away. How bad is that? It's not that bad. And so when we begin to wrestle with this, when we begin to grapple with this, when we begin to understand this, it strengthens us. It encourages us. It invigorates us. It helps us see we're a part of something that is incredibly important. It helps us see that everything we do has implications for eternity. That is an exciting thing. It can be sometimes a hard thing, but it is, it is an exciting thing too when you think about that. No part of your life is wasted. Nothing. He can use it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your word. As we see Jesus here teaching and instructing his disciples, help us also to take these to heart, to become like them. They went out and changed the world. It has never been the same because of those disciples going out and following you fearlessly. Help us to follow in their footsteps, to emulate them, God, thank you that every step of the way, you're with us, Jesus, that you are the way and you are the destination, and we can hold on to you the whole time, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.